When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Later in the program, agri-food export figures show strong economic footprint of our farming sector, the IFA say. Agri-food exports at record values is a sobering lesson for anti-livestock farming agenda, according to the ICSA. The ICSA demands urgent government rethink on land sell-off to foreign investors. And farmers concerned, new Kielcher Forestry Fund will distort the land market, according to the IFA Farm Forestry Chair, Mr Jason Fleming. More on this later in the programme. Details of a tractor safety training course for teenagers costing €15. Venue will be Canturk Mart, 9.30am to 4.30pm on Saturday, 21st of January, 2023. Further information from Louise or Monica at Ardu de Hallo, the following phone number, 029-60633, 029-60633, or the internet connection is Duhallo Skills Net at irdtohallow.com, all lowercase. Tractor safety training course, especially arranged for teenagers thinking of working on the farms to be aware of all aspects of tractor safety training. Next, Corkwest ploughing. Joining us on the farm programme, we have Miss Caroline Jennings, PRO for the Corkwest Ploughing Association. Well, Caroline. I think you have news now, an update on ploughing matters in Cork West. Hello, John. Yes, and Happy New Year to you. Kilmeen Ploughing Association will hold their annual ploughing match, uh, weather permitting, tomorrow Sunday, the 15th, on the lands of John and Declan Buttermer, Sierra Rossmore, and the postcode is P85Y319. Ploughing will commence at 11 a.m. sharp. Entries are to be with Ger Collins on 087-775-1001 by 12 noon today, Saturday the 14th. Now that number again is 087-775-1001. That's fine. Thank you very much indeed for that update, uh, Caroline Jennings. Our first uh, Cork West report our first Cork West ploughing report for 2023. Thank you very much indeed, Caroline. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. you, John. IFA President Mr Tim Conlon said the record agri-food export figures announced by Bia show the importance of farming to the Irish economy. Mr Conlon said €16.7 billion Euro is the highest figure ever recorded for our exports. He said what's significant is the very important economic footprint this creates right across the country. 
Unlike some sectors, he contends, the agri-food sector is embedded in every region, and the return from exports generates activity in literally every rural parish. He said the performance underlines the resilience of the sector as it came in a year when farmers were dealing with massive hikes in the cost of production. Tim Cullinan said there is a direct correlation between output and exports. And he said economist Kieran Fitzgerald told the IFA Farming and Climate Summit in Thomond Park in recent days that every 1% drop in output would cost the Irish economy 240 million euro. Mr Cullinan said, if we want to build our export profile, we cannot countenance a drop in output. The IFA president said, the figures also show that agri-food exports are getting to markets beyond the UK, even though this remains a very important destination for our products, that is the UK. 68% of the exports reached markets apart from the United Kingdom. Board Bia, he said, should continue to develop market opportunities and capitalise on the very strong reputation that our food enjoys. Meanwhile, ICSA, Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, National President, Mr Dermot Kelher said, the tremendous performance of food and drink exports for 2022 was a sobering lesson for the anti-livestock farming agenda and those politicians who want to lay waste to the farming sector in Ireland. Mr Kelleher said the 22% increase to a record 16.7 billion euro, which when combined with non-edible agri-exports, is about 18.7 billion. It's first and foremost a tribute to the hard work of farm families in delivering for the Irish economy. Mr Kelleher recalls that in 2022, farmers were confronted with huge increases in cost and a never-ending diatribe of negativity in the media, he contended. But farmers do what they always do in the face of adversity. They show up for work seven mornings a week. It's critical, Mr Kelleher said, to understand that unlike FDI, foreign direct investment, the €18.7 billion of Irish agri-food exports delivers real money spread relatively equally across every county in Ireland, and this money, he said, was retained within the Irish economy. Mr Kelleher said the interesting point is that much of this increase in value has been through better product price. This is a key lesson. Farmers are only producing what consumers across Europe and further afield want to actually buy. It also demonstrates that food security is indeed an issue, as other countries are encountering declining production of all types of food. On a sectoral level, Mr Kelleher pointed out that dairy exports increased 33% without an increase in volume. By comparison, the beef and sheep sectors worked a lot harder to get lower increases. Beef exports were up 18% in value on the back of a 9% increase in volume, and sheep exports were up 17% on the back of a 10% increase in volume. Mr Kelleher said the overall value of meat exports at €4 billion was really important for rural Ireland and it should be noted the meat sector is also a contributor to the €3 billion worth of exports in the prepared consumer food sector. Overall, he said, the results show that the meat sectors need to do better to match the excellent performance of the dairy sector in terms of price delivered to the farmers. Beef and sheep farmers have really been hit very hard by input costs increases which dairy farmers can better carry at this point in time. 
This needs to be looked at again in terms of policy and financial support. Part of a long press release there from the ICSA National President, Mr Dermot Keller, based in West Cork. Later in the programme, we look at the prospects for the re-establishment of an Irish sugar industry. Amy Ford reports from a recent meeting held in County Meath where the prospects of starting up the industry again were discussed. This would be based on obtaining the necessary quota from the European Union. All of this against the background of the world-changing circumstances brought about by the war in the Ukraine. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have Miss Amy Ford, Deputy News Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. First of all, Amy, welcome to the programme. Now, there's renewed interest, apparently, in the re-establishment of sugar beet processing in Ireland. This is still in Mallow, unfortunately, after many years, a very hot topic with people taking opposing sides regarding sugar. But in your article of Saturday 14th of January 2022, Irish Farmers Journal, you outline the background to this call for more quota. So who is calling for this quota and what realistically are the first few steps to be taken to re-establish sugar processing, sugar beet processing in Ireland? Yeah, John, you've a big question there. Look, I suppose um, earlier this week there was a meeting of the Irish Grain Growers Group uh, up in up in Mead on the Dublin Mead border and obviously a range of views are put out there. And one of the committee members of the Grain Growers is Pat Cleary um, he's from Honest Revan in Kildare and, and he said that under the Climate Action Plan obviously we've to increase our, our tillage land target up to 400,000 hectares um, and he said part of that target could be reached is by bringing back sugar beet and planting sugar beet essentially between 25 and 30,000 hectares he said um, it's a sustainable crop he said and his direct quote really is if there's going to be a 400,000 hectare target surely to God there should be an allocation of at least 25 to 30,000 hectares of sugar beet another sustainable crop um, so look it's just kind of thrown out there now Pat himself was involved in Beet Ireland and that was the group which tried to get the sugar industry up and running again in Ireland after 2010 um, and you know that went on for a few years uh, they'd bought a site um, in the east of the country that's still in their ownership um, but as you said earlier, basically, he's kind of thrown it out there that could sugar beet come, come back onto the table. Uh, you mentioned what would need to be done for the first steps. There'd obviously need to be a big decision at government level and everything else about bringing it back, I suppose, as well. It would probably need funding. Pat said himself there, there'd need to be, you know, up to €400 million Euro allocated from the government to set up a sugar beet processing plant. Then we'd have to, you know, there'd be a lot involved in it in terms of growing it again um, and in terms of finding markets from it and, or whatever whatever else we do with it if we if we do it here ourselves you know there's a lot to discuss rather than just say let's get it back up running but I suppose he's asked the question and it's out there and I suppose what what do your listeners think I suppose you could ask uh, would people be in favour of it coming back I'm not sure but it was certainly a very popular uh, crop to be grown uh, around the country and only said Mallow and there was Tume, Thurlis and, and other plant in the east as well uh, was a very popular plant uh, in, in decades gone by. And of course there are people who say if the sugar industry was running today it would be profitable because the price of all commodities is apparently rising and again the situation in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine that would seem to have uh, changed the global situation regarding an awful lot of commodities and uh, with the right attitude it's just possible that people like uh, Pat Cleary and Michael Hoey who was the chair of Beat Ireland they might see 
a reintroduction of beet processing here as a viable operation, bearing in mind the situation that's arisen now with uh, Ukraine? The viability of it really needs to be looked at. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that would, would happily grow it, potentially, um, and the viability of growing it. And obviously growing it is fine, but we can't just decide next year we're going to grow sugar beet. Um, there needs to be a processing centre for it if we're going to process it into sugar and so on. Um, so there's a lot to kind of discuss before it, such an industry would get back up and running. And as I said, this was thrown out at a meeting um, earlier this week, and it's you know it's it's not on the table or anything like that. It's not um, it's not something that's definitely going to happen. It's someone that's suggesting something that could happen. It's almost like the Mokney look, you know, of something something that might happen in a in a typical scenario. Look, as you said, I think there's a lot of people out there um, that would be interested in getting back into growing sugar beet. Um, but where it goes from here, we we'll have to wait and see. Of course, the Mokney look, the Gaelga there. We we have a situation where. It all comes down to the reality of those people who are going to have to work at producing, sowing and producing this beet. And as happened in the past, if the farmers can't get a profitable margin from growing beet, well then, that's the foundation ripped from under this very beautiful concept. That's it exactly. As I said there earlier, John, if the, you know what market is going to go into, are we going to use it for our own consumption or exports or what are we going to do with it? Um, that's that's not set up if you get me so you know there's this is one dot in the ocean and and the other stepping stones that are needed to get a sugar beet um processing plant up and running again you know there's a there's a long long way to go for that and markets for those and obviously if if it was to come back the industry was to come back farmers would obviously need to be rewarded for it not just a, a basic price you would say they'd need they'd need a, a good price for their product if they were to grow it and again, as you quoted in your article in the Irish Farmers Journal, Saturday 14th of January 2023, one of the speakers at the meeting in Meath, he posed practical questions. If you're going to take beef farmers or dairy farmers or suckler farmers, if you're going to take livestock farmers out of production, what are they going to do? What can they grow? And uh, there is a call for the growing of cereals, but you need a rotation crop. And as you point out there in your quote in the article, you know, what will farmers do if they're going to be pushed out or enticed out of beef production? Maybe beet might be the answer if it can be made profitable. Yeah, um, it would be a small selection as well. And just on beef farmers getting pushed out, our other story this week uh, it's on the front, John, is, you know, the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, he scrapped suckler cull schemes. So it was mooted there a couple of weeks ago from food vision documents and so on that there would be suckler cull schemes to pay farmers to get out of beef, suckler beef production or reduce numbers. Um, they're now off the table, the Minister has said. So uh, I don't think there'd be any beef farmers jumping into growing beef anytime soon, essentially, is what I'm saying. In Mallow in particular, and those parts of Cork, where the beet growers uh, grew beet for many, many years, and the title of your article there is Return of 30,000 Hectares of sugar beet could help meet tillage land target of 400,000 hectares of land under tillage. Well, thank you very much indeed, Miss Amy Ford, Deputy News Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you, Amy, very much indeed. Thanks, John. You're very welcome. Although at this stage, it still seems highly unlikely that a mallow sugar beet factory will ever again reopen in this North Cork town. However, we play some archive material dating back to last desperate efforts to save the Mallow Sugar Factory. Reporter and newsreader at the time and former news colleague Sarah McMahon 
Almost 3,000 farmers as well as the people of Mallow came out in force yesterday to protest against the proposed EU sugar reforms. The proposals, if implemented, could see the price being offered to farmers for their beet slashed by half. Mallow is the only remaining sugar beet processing facility in the country after Greencore decided to close the gates to the Carlow factory earlier this year. Now the future of 7,000 jobs, both primary and through secondary services, dependent on the sugar industry in this country, are at risk. Those who attended the rally were addressed by IFA President John Dillon. He said the pressure is really on the Agriculture Minister, Mary Coughlin, to stand up for Irish farmers at the negotiations this week. We want the sugar factory open. We want it kept open at the current price. That's the bottom line. There's no way we can have anything less than the current price. Anything under that is not viable. Meanwhile, Fine Gael MEP Simon Coveney said the blocking minority was the last resort. Quite simply, she needs to get other allies to back her in her battle to reject the current Commission proposals, which will result in more than a 40% price cut in sugar across Europe. We cannot live with that type of price cut. While North Cork, Finnegale Town and County Councillor Noel O'Connor said everybody had to work together to secure the future of the industry. Future generations of Mallow people will not forgive me or us or the Town Council or anyone else if we don't fight this battle fiercely and fight it together with our farming community. If the negotiations fail, farmers are demanding that compensation payments are made to them directly and not to Greencore. It seems this week will be one of the most important ever to face the Irish sugar industry. Mr David Dilger, the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of Greencore PLC. As we speak, there's devastation in Mallow and the surrounding area indeed and in other counties. What's your response to the announcement being made by Green Corps that they're effectively to cease production on the 12th of May at their Mallow operation. Well, you're right, there is, uh, there is devastation in Mallow today, uh, and indeed right throughout our group. Uh, sugar has been the backbone of this group uh, since its foundation, uh, and uh, the people, uh, our, our colleagues and employees in Mallow, uh, have been the mainstay of what I believe has been the best and indeed is still the largest agribusiness operation in Ireland and the level of anger and frustration that uh, is shared by uh, uh, the people you mention and the people of this group uh, with the fact that this business has effectively been taken out is it cannot be understated um, the issue uh, is that it's been clear since November 2005 uh, as a result of the EU Council of Ministers decision on that date that sugar had no long-term future in Ireland uh, what we've been grappling with and working really, really hard to try to do is to see if we could squeeze one further campaign uh, uh, for, for, for our Mallow plant, um, which we're very proud of, by the way. Uh, that hasn't proved to be possible uh, because the company is facing losses of a very significant variety and a massive load of risks on top of those losses. And no responsible board of directors could stand over that situation. Um, that is by way of no consolation whatsoever to the fact that uh, we've today announced the closure of, of a business that we have been extremely proud of and indeed that Mallow has been extremely proud of. There is one issue here. The workers, uh, representative uh, today, Liam Lucy, the worker director and the shop steward at Mallow, he accused the IFA of effectively opening the way for closure of the factory by bickering over compensation and uh, appearing to back a compensation agenda. Now, what would your comment be to the declared intention of the IFA to seek, I believe, €106 million in compensation? Would you have any comment on that? I have no interest whatever today in getting into a blame game here as to who's responsible. Um, The the EU Council of Ministers effectively took a decision which wiped out the the long-term future of this business. Uh, 
uh, I think today is absolutely not a day to be talking about compensation. We have 324 colleagues in Mallow. Um, my heart goes out to them. They have done absolutely nothing to realise this, uh, the position that we have to, to find ourselves in today. And I think it's wholly inappropriate um, uh, to be talking about uh, compensation. There are significant financial consequences of this closure. This group is perfectly willing to face up to those financial consequences, and we'll get on with talking with with, uh, uh, with our employees starting, uh, I hope, tomorrow, uh, and if not, uh, in the very early part of next week. David Didger, CEO of Greencore PLC. As we approach the time for Mallow Sugar Factory to close on the 12th of May 2006, as we approach the closure of Mallow Sugar Plant after 77 years approximately, I'm speaking to Mr Liam Lucy, SIP2 Worker Director and Shop Steward at Mallow Sugar Factory. Well, it is a very, very sad day. For, for the workers indeed for that gave their livelihood to the company for it to come to this obviously emotions are running high we had a meeting last night in the Carrickheel uh, GA Hall and obviously anger was expressed emotions ran high look this is not a debt in the family we are a skilled workforce we are a naval workforce we are a committed workforce We'll pick it up from here. Yes, it's going to be a problem, but we're going to pick it up and we're going to carry on. Of course, we have to. So, I mean, what we're going to do, I don't know, but we'll take it from here. Am I bitter? No. Am I regretful? Yes, this is an industry that could be saved. Thanks to Mr. Liam Lucy there, SIP2 Worker Director of the now-closed Mallow Sugar Company plant, documenting reaction to the closure of the plant back in 2006. Our use of this archive material from May 2006 is prompted by a meeting which took place recently in Meath. It was chaired by Mr Pat Cleary of the Irish Grain Growers Group. Mr Pat Cleary of the Irish Grain Growers Group, speaking at the recent meeting in Meath, called for the return of 30,000 hectares of sugar beet quota to help meet tillage land targets and at the same time initiate re-establishment of sugar beet processing in Ireland. Mr Pat Cleary, who was involved in Beat Ireland, the group which tried to get a sugar industry up and running again, said a 30,000 hectare target of Beat quota was feasible. He said Beat Ireland is still a limited company and they still own the same site they'd bought for the sugar factory. All of the speakers in this interview, apart from Miss Amy Ford, Deputy News Editor, Irish Farmers Journal, were drawn from May 2006, C103 archive material. We have uh, Mr Jason Fleming, the IFA Farm Forestry Chair. First of all, Jason, welcome to the programme. Now, you are, of course, as IFA Farm Forestry Chair, you are deeply concerned, as would a lot of other farmers, regarding the sale of Quilcha land. Uh, it's very disappointing from our point of view um, to see Quilcha going, uh, going into bed with, with an investment fund outside of the country. Um, I suppose what it means, what it means to us on the ground is that the Irish taxpayer will be paying for for the sale of, of rural Ireland to a foreign investment fund. It's as simple as that. We as taxpayers, as we all know, Quilt is a senior state body, um, and, and we as taxpayers are paying into that. So, what initially, the way this is going to work is far- selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As far as we can tell, it's Quilta is managing the, the sites and, and the investment company from our different, the investment funds outside the country are buying the land. So it's it's a fifty fifty partnership the way the way the way it's looking and and, and I suppose the most disappointing thing is uh, the carbon credits does a lot of outstanding um, we'd say things that they haven't clarified where the carbon credits going to the likes of the single farm payments rumor has it they can draw down the single farm payments and second and, and number three is the the, the availability of land for food production as well is is a big one and and and, and no one seems to be able to answer that either so. What's the connection with the Climate Action Plan? And, of course, we hear about uh, targets for afforestation and it's being claimed or alleged that farmers aren't participating quickly enough in reforestation or afforestation. Is this connected in some way with uh, the Climate Action Plan? Yes, 100%. That's, that's, that's what it's all about, really. Um, if we will not meet our targets. And what I'm trying to say is Queen is going to make up the, the, the deficit that we know, that, that that's not being met, as we all know. There was only 2,000 planted in 21 and 2,400 planted last year. But I, I just I, I want to go through one or two things why that's happening. Um, the reason that's happening, we planted, in 2016, farmers planted 6,500 hectares, right? In 2022, it gets down to 2,4. The reason for that is the licensing system. We have a scenario that you put in a license in 2020 or 2021, and you could be waiting two, three, four, five years for a license for a farmer to come out. That's that's where all the negativity came around forestry. It's, we weren't getting our licenses when we need them. And we had a scenario that Quilta, there's a two-tier system went into the department. Farmers, as I said, were waiting for, from two to five years. And Quilta were sending me in and block, and, and, and they were getting them out within the four months. And, and there's a guideline out of four months for, for the department to get applications out, and Quilta were getting them out within the four months. And secondly... Queensland made 137 million last year. Uh, 137, maybe it's not profit, but that's an overall figure, right? And when when timber was never at its highest for the last two years, Queensland were getting top dollar for that for that timber. Now we as farmers are getting our licenses, but believe it or not, the price of timber is after falling dramatically. The likes of Sawlog 
is around 20 to 30 percent, right? So we have a scenario now where farmers have their licences and they don't know what to do with the care filling for care filling sites and their price of timber is down 20 to 30 percent. And that's fine for the care filling sites because they can maybe wait a while. But for, for tinning, if we don't tin within 15, 16, 17 years of a sickest fruit site, it'll be gone too late. So farmers will have to move. Now, essentially, Jason, speaking to Mr. Jason Fleming, the IFA Farm Forestry Chair, essentially, since we've heard about the establishment of ISIF, that's the Irish Strategic Forestry Fund by Kielce and Ireland Strategic Investment Fund, ISIF, what exactly can you do or have you been doing to bring your argument to the highest level of our country, to the government, and uh, question this deal, or has it all been signed, sealed, and effectively tied up? The biggest problem we have on the ground is, uh, and especially myself, I, I, I was on Project Woodland on behalf of the Forestry Committee, right? Uh, and Project Woodland seems to be a smokescreen now, and the real dealing was going on in a different room with the likes of these invest, best inf- investment funds. What could be done? What, what are we doing? I met Minister, Minister McConnell. Um, we had an environmental conference down in Tormont Park. I met him there after the meeting, after the conference. And what I was saying to him basically is that, we, that the state should be focusing on planting program, should be for farmer planting. And every euro the farmer gets is spent within the local, 99% of that is spent within the local shop, the local hardware store, and, 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 and the local towns. It's all local. Every euro these investment funds, uh, funds are getting, most of it is even the country. And that's the biggest problem. And, and that's, that's the main point I was trying to get across to the minister. He is meeting Quilta on this issue tomorrow, uh, uh, this Friday. So I was just trying to get these points across. But the problem we have here is uh, the government seems to be trying, uh, trying to meet their targets at any cost. And the cost, the heavy cost here is rural Ireland. And that's the bottom line. It's not affecting forestry farmers anymore. It's affecting every farmer in the country now. And the sooner farmers realise that and get on board with this, the better. Because the simple fact is, we've been sold out. And, and the sooner our TDs, our ministers, and especially rural TDs and ministers, stand up and be counted here and come off the ditch and, and support us on this. We have great support from the independents, uh, and, and I have to say that. But the rural TDs seem to be sitting on the fence with this, and county councillors. It, w- w- they're, they're elected to represent farmers, rural Ireland, and represent us. And of course, the other main farm organisation who has made a comment that's the Irish Cattle and Chief Farmers Association, their national president, Mr. Dermot Kelleher, based in West Cork, he said, you know, any proposals that centre around selling Irish farmland from under the feet of Irish farmers are unacceptable to his organisation. He believes planting should be voluntary and not have this global type of uh, organisational decision imposed on people. We are told uh, in the Constitution property is sacred, but of course uh, we're being told with globalisation big, huge organisations can come in and buy up farmland from under the feet of Irish farmers. But, but the funny thing here is, before, six weeks ago, they came up with a new forestry programme and we welcomed the figures. Most farming organisations did. And I was promoting it. We were promoting it as... A, as as the chairman of the forestry organisation, as the forestry committee, there was a bit of confidence coming back into the sectors. Into the sector, a lot of farmers were thinking of planting. We as farmers are planting, like we were planting. Like I say, 2016, we planted six and a half thousand hectares. Right? It's, it was no fault of the farmers that we couldn't get our licences out between that and 2022. Right? So, if that's after out, there are three main reasons that farmers are not planting. The licensing is number one. Get the licences out when we need them. Secondly, 
Ash Dieback is a massive problem. We, there is an IUS scheme out at the moment, right? That's not fit for purpose. All it's covering is the groundwork and the replanting obligation. But what we're saying here is that, that they should be getting a 20-year premium on the, on the new forestry programme. It doesn't matter if they're planting native woodlands or thickest foods. There should be 20-year premium on top of the, the IUS compensation scheme that they're calling it at the moment. And I think Ash Dieback farmers would be happy enough for that. We, we, we'll get it across the line. And secondly, and, and thirdly, and this is the most important point, there should be a relaxing of, of, of the replanting obligation as well. Because a lot of dairy farmers are, are, are in contact with me that mom and dad are after planting 10 or 15 acres to the size of the land, right? And they're after taking over, and they want to bring that 10 or 15 acres back in to rotation for, for dairy, and they cannot do that. And the reality here is it costs too much for an ordinary farmer to, to, take, to, 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 to start picking up roots of trees and stuff like that. So 99% of farmers are going to replant anyway. But the farmers that don't want to replant... Uh, a small bit of ground or with more it's going to be on the, the bones of 20 acres that way more cases that they, can, they should be they should be left bring that back into a rotation be it there and you're stocking or whatever the case may be In one situation you welcomed permission and exemption to plant conifers on yes. land where it had originally been hoped to put deciduous trees but a word or two about that exemption which I think you welcomed yeah, that, that was crazy what was going on there. What was happening is you'd have to apply to your local county council if you wanted to, if you wanted to change from 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 uh, native woodlands or, or broadleaves to thickest fruits, conifers, right? So what's happening now is, and that, that's well, that, that's very welcome that that changed. Anything under ten, anything under ten hectares, you will have to change without applying for any license or going to any local county council or anyone. You can change it over automatically. So that's. That, that's the welcome. But the, the big problem we have here, there was 33 million of forestry money uh, in the budget for 2021, right? There was 33 million that went back to the checkers from the forestry sector that wasn't spent. That 33 million should be put back in to, to help out these ash dieback farmers, the compensation for ash dieback farmers back in 2021. That was up to 30 million went back into the checker. The sooner that it's reversed, the better. That's all I have to say. Thank you very much indeed, IFA Farm Forestry Chair, Mr Jason Fleming. Thanks for having me on. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have Ms Elaine Clifford, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagas, Sandfield, Bellevue Mallow in County Cork. First of all, welcome to the programme, Elaine. Now, before we begin our main conversation, our main talk about uh, current issues, I understand there are a couple of events, very important events, you'd like to remind our listeners about, and well and good if we've time at the end, we'll repeat those. So, first of all, two very important upcoming events for our listeners, Elaine. Thanks, John. Yes, um, Chagas are holding a spring tillage seminar on Monday the 16th of January at 7.30pm in the Silver Springs Hotel in Cork. And the topics to be covered will include CAS for 2023, new nitrate regulations and planning for 2023 in terms of costs and crop management. And then Chagas and AHI are also holding a CAS care event on Tuesday the 17th of January at 11am on the farm of Donald and Eileen McSweeney um, in Kenturk, and there's more details on our website about that. And there's just one other event up, uh, coming up on the 23rd of January at 7.30. We're holding a seminar in Car in March just to cover nitrates and cat changes for all enterprises. So coming up now, speaking to Miss Elaine Clifford, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagas Mallow. First of all, the calving situation. What health issues should dairy farmers be focusing on over the next few weeks before calving? 
Yeah, so I suppose the first um, issue, um, health issue, John, would be uh, mastitis um, and to, I suppose, reduce the risk of mastitis occurring over the calving period. So the beneficial effect of dry, the dry cow chews is now wearing off um, and the two weeks before calving cows are at a greater risk of infection as the teeth ends begin to open. So hygiene is really important during this period. Um, cubicles should be scraped and lined definitely at least once a day anyway, if not twice a day um, for the cows. And scrapers should be going six times a day and regularly scrape the crossover passages. Ideally, you'd need um, one cubicle per cow coming up to this um, risk period. But I suppose if that's not possible on some farms, maybe to prioritise the cows that are coming up close to calving anyway, definitely. Um, and heifers that haven't been teeth sealed, they need special attention um, and cubicles should definitely be scraped and lined twice a day as they start springing and their teeth ends open, they have no protection. Um, and in-calf heifers will have a, a lower intake of, of feed, so they, their intake will be four to six kilos of dry matter. And um, so their immune system will be low, making them very vulnerable to mastitis. So it's important to give them high priority as well and ensure they have a cubicle per heifer too. Um, secondly, then, milk fever is becoming um, more common issue, I suppose, and it poses a high risk for culling during the calving period. And um, firstly, I'd say to farmers, if you haven't already done so, um, that you should check your potassium levels in, um, in your silage. So potash levels for a dry cow silage need to be below 2% or you're going to run into issues with um, calcium metabolism in the body. Um, if you find yourself in a position that you do have high potash levels in your silage, um, you could maybe dilute it with straw um, coming up to this high-risk period, especially anyway. Um, and also to, in terms of milk fever, to check the label of your pre-calving mineral that you have um, a good thick mineral. So you're looking at 25% inclusion of magnesium, 4 to 5% inclusion of phosphorus, and no added calcium and high levels of vitamin D are very important to reduce the risk of milk fever in cows. And also looking at the feeding rate as well. Um, most minerals would be 120 grams per head per day um, of minerals. Um, but it's important to know that you're actually feeding that amount to the cows. Um, we can't do much, I suppose, about the thinner cows that are close to calving at the moment, but it's definitely important to look at um, look at body condition score of cows and any cows that are over-conditioned, um, they're going to be more susceptible to illnesses like milk fever um, and possibly need to look at, at um, separating them and reducing their feed or maybe feeding a poor quality silage to those cows because if they're over-conditioned now and they're not actually due to calve until March, they're, they're really in a high-risk category. Um, as well as older cows, um, they'll also be in a high-risk category. So I suppose given that it's becoming a common problem, um, it'd be a good idea to stock up on bottles of magnesium and calcium and just to have them prepared um, in the event of any, any outbreaks. Now, Elaine, still before the busy calving period, what preparation work, what other preparation work can you think of that should be completed now on dairy farms before the actual busy calving period begins? So I think farmers should definitely take this opportunity before the madness begins um, to assess your calf housing. So your usual have the sheds cleaned out and power hose and disinfected, etc. 
but also to look at um, your housing capacity. So as I mentioned, Chagas and AHI are running a series of calf care events during January. And one of the main topics actually is um, know your number. So how many calves can each shed hold to avoid overcrowding and to reduce the risk um, of disease outbreak as well? So the best for best performance, I suppose, and less disease, calves need approximately two metres squared per head in a shed. So to work out your area available to the calves in the shed and divide by two metres squared to see what is the optimum number of calves for each shed. Um, it's also very handy to write this number, I find, maybe um, at the wall, at the front of the, at the, front of the shed, at the door, um, so that everyone knows the maximum of calves for each shed. Um, and you could even do it on a per pin basis if you wanted. Um, so at least everyone, everyone on the farm is on the same page. Um, you could also assess the condition of the calf house. So check all the gates, that they're secure, the trucks are in good order and maybe eliminate any drafts um, so that the houses are ready to go once calves start landing on the ground. Um, farmers should be prepared in the event of having to keep calves longer um, due to maybe possible delays with exports or any um, kind of issues of, we'll say, onset from bad weather conditions, um, and to try and maybe secure an overflow calf housing area like every yard has a shed or an area that could work in this situation. Um, and it's just on a short-term basis, I suppose. But now would be a good time to go and clear out those areas and have them ready to go in case it is required. Um, because it's the last thing anyone wants to have to do when you're up to your tonsils in cows calving um, is to go clearing out sheds. So just be prepared um, for that. Um, also, you can make sure that you have all your equipment ready to go, so your calving jack, your ropes are in good order, um, bottles of lubricant and gloves, iodine disinfectant, your stomach tube, so I'd be advising to get a new one. Don't use the one that you had last year because it's been idle for so long, it could be cracked or damaged. Um, also, things like your tags and taggers. You can make at least a, a checklist, I suppose, um, of what you need in the calving box and what you need in the calf shed. And just to make sure that it's all there um, and ready, ready at your disposal. Um, and check calf eaters and teeth and trucks to ensure they're clean and in good condition um, and ready for use. There are many things that you can prepare um, before calving commences. So ensuring you have enough straw. A general rule of thumb would be that you need one round bale per calf. And if you keep them until you're, until they're weaned. Um, also jobs like um, order your milk replacer can be done now. And... Um, having it in the yard for when you when you need it, rather than rushing looking for it on the day you need it. Um, you have a bit of time to spend. I suppose looking at the spec of milk replacers now, which is really important. Um, factors to consider when selecting milk replacer would be your protein content. Ideally, you want 24-26% protein, and um, with a dairy source, not a plant protein source, 16 to 20% then for your fat content and less than 7% for your ash content, and a maximum of uh, 0.1% for your fibre content. That would be my advice, kind of just to get yourself prepared for the busy period. Everyone is aware of the dangers which occur at very, very busy times of the year, and with calving, and people under intense pressure from several different directions. Obviously, you would try and do your very best to take things step by step, rather than 
take any risky moves. So be aware of the safety aspect when you're in the middle of this busy calving period. And the more preparation, ideally, if we can do most, if not all, of those preparations you recommend, the more preparation, the less chance you'll be rushing last minute. Absolutely, John, yeah. Now, we come to input costs. We know since the Russian invasion of Ukraine and uh, regards fertiliser and various input costs, given the high input costs we saw last year, just gone 2022, how should farmers try and best plan for the year ahead? I know I'm asking you to take into account what the input costs rise will be, but insofar as you can, can you suggest any kind of plan, subject, of course, to how the input costs actually increase or otherwise in price? Ideally, if some of them went down, all the better. Yeah, so I suppose while we did see extremely high input costs in 2022, uh, milk price was very strong, which led to positive margins in most cases on dairy farms. Um, But I suppose, however, given that input price inflation has risen dramatically over the last two years anyway, um, and the cost of actually producing milk has been increased has been increasing gradually since um, the abolition of uh, quotas. Anyway, it's really important that farmers know exactly what their costs are um, on a per cow basis and on a, a cent per litre produced basis, so that they have an idea of how changes in the market could affect their business. But also the changes I suppose that are faced in a lot of farms um, in the new nitrates action plan. Um, they may put farm stocking rates under pressure. And I suppose knowing what your costs have been previously, it gives you an idea. Um, and, and I suppose the more information you have, the, the more informed decisions you can make going forward. Um, but I suppose it, once you know your costs, you know what, what you need to produce. And it can help future-proof your farm to a degree. Um, there's a lot of things you can't control that are outside the farm gate. But once you have... Um, once you have an idea of, of what you need to produce your milk, um, put in a better position. There's a lot of tools um, available to farmers so that they can monitor and manage their farming business. Um, and at the moment, many advisors are completing profit monitors for our clients for 2022. So profit monitor reports can help farmers to plan for the year ahead, um, benchmarking their farm against others, and gives them an idea of where they would stand if milk price was to drop and input costs were even to remain the same, if not increase. Um, now is a good time of the year, actually, to complete monitoring tools like, like the Profit Monitor um, when you have time before things get busy. Um, so I suppose it's just to have an idea of your costs so that you can plan for the future and kind of benchmark yourself, I suppose. You might please, Elaine, mention those very important upcoming events which we alluded to briefly at the start of our conversation. Chagas are holding a spring tillage seminar on Monday the 16th of January at 7.30pm in Silver Springs Hotel in Cork. The topics to be covered will include CAP 2023, new nitrate regulations and planning for 2023 in terms of costs and crop management. Also, there's a Chagas and AHI calf care event on Tuesday the 17th of January at 11am on the farm of Donal and Eileen McSweeney, and that's in Canturk, and there's more details on our website. And Chagas will also be holding a seminar in Carl Mart on Monday the 29th of January at 7.30pm, covering nitrates and cap changes for all enterprises. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Elaine Clifford, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagas, Sandfield, Bellevue and Mallow. Thank you very much indeed, Elaine. Thanks a million.
And that's Farm Talk for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to Barry O'Mahony, 96.3 FM News Editor, to Marae Tuig, 96.3 FM News Reporter, and also creator of the Farm Talk podcasts for the internet. Thanks, too, to Sarah Cahill, formerly Sarah McMahon, for archive material. As always, a very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.